0: Welcome to the Non Diet Yogi Podcast. This is episode 18, Healing from Hypothalamic Amenorrhea with Phoebe Jobson. Each month, I invite you to dive deep with me to explore and dismantle the world of big wellness, where spirituality, fitness, diet culture, and white supremacy collide in a strange world where orthorexia parades as fitspiration and COVID denialism is just what cool celebrity paleo chefs do. I'm referring, of course, to Pete Evans, FYI. I'm your host, Casey Conroy, non-diet dietician, naturopath in training and yoga teacher. And this episode has been a long time coming, as with my guest Phoebe, Hypothalamic amenorrhea is a huge passion of mine having experienced it over the course of my eating disorder back in my early to mid-20s and my personal story with hypothalamic amenorrhea or HA is something that I shared with my Patreon subscribers a few episodes back so it is still there for those interested. I could have spoken with Phoebe for hours and my excitable soul really needed some serious reining in for this episode. Um, However, we did manage to cover a lot in an hour. In this episode, we discussed not only missing periods, why they happen and what to do about them but irregular periods, also known as oligomenorrhea. And this is something that I believe is a real blind spot in um, the treatment of things like infertility and disordered eating. So that's exciting. Also, we talk about an ovulatory periods just briefly. Um, This is something that I didn't know for the longest time, but people with uteruses can have a bleed. You can actually... um, menstruate without Ovulating, So just because you might be having an, an actual bleed, that doesn't mean that you're fertile as such. It doesn't mean you're ovulating. And I've had um, quite a few clients who have been perhaps having periods for years, but have been having anovulatory cycles. Anyway, I'm already getting ahead of myself. So some of the other stuff we talk about are, you know, some signs and symptoms that accompany HA, and some of the issues that come along with that. We talk all about the food piece, so how much, how often, and whether calorie counting to ensure minimum intakes helps or hinders. Um, Hint, it depends. (laughs) Why potatoes are not the devil and carbs may actually be your secret weapon. We discuss some guidelines on exercise or movement in HA recovery, why rest rocks, the importance of seeing a psychologist or psychotherapist or counsellor as part of your recovery team. Tips on dealing with diet mentality and diet culture. Busting some common HA myths. This was a really fun part partial versus full recovery, the problem also with skipping the nutritional rehabilitation part of HA recovery. So, for example, just going to the naturopath or your Chinese medicine practitioner and getting some herbs to try to kick-start your period, or just jumping straight to fertility medications or injectables in the case of you know going to a gp or fertility specialist so the problem with doing this instead of doing the nutritional rehabilitation stuff so that bit comes towards the end just adding on a little bit here and that it's, it's far less likely to work when you haven't done that nutritional rehabilitation and also um, any concurrent eating disorders are not obviously going to improve if we skip that piece. So there's so much crammed into this episode. There's more than what I've mentioned. Um, So we'll get into it in a second. I just want to say one thing and that is apologies for my microphone and my audio in this interview. Phoebe's audio is just fine, but my audio was a bit average. Um, I did the inbuilt microphone trick again. Like I did in episode 16, I did, f- forgot to use my fancy pants microphone or somehow didn't do that. So, you know, definitely not an audio technician by any stretch of the imagination, but I am slowly learning from my mistakes um, doing this whole podcasting and I'm trying not to be too type A about it. Just a trigger warning that there is talk of calories around minute 30. Up until minute thirty six of this podcast, so just a heads up for that. If you know that you will be healthier and um, mentally happier, etc., by not listening to that stuff, then and please, um, yeah, it's around minute thirty up to minute thirty six. I'm going to give you a little bit more information about Phoebe because she is really impressive. So here is her bio. Phoebe Jobson is a Sydney-based speaker and naturopath at Nutmeg Natropathy. How cool is that name? Natropathy encompasses a number of modalities, particularly herbal medicine and nutrition, to support acute and chronic illnesses and imbalances within the body. Having had her own health challenges in in the past and being diagnosed with a restrictive eating disorder, Phoebe knows what it's like to be in a place of diseased health. She has learnt how nutrition, herbal medicine and other holistic principles have the power to help and enable our body and mind to thrive. Phoebe is so passionate about supporting individuals and helping them take care of their precious health. We must learn to appreciate and love who we are, nourishing ourselves on a daily basis. Helping others add health, happiness and soul back into their lives truly makes Phoebe's heart sing. Each and every one of us is on a different health journey and Phoebe is here to help support, build and energize that journey. The very last thing I want to mention before we dive in, if you love the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes. To do so is dead easy. From the show page, you just scroll down until you see the rating and review section with the stars. And for even more good stuff, you can become a patron of the podcast for $2 US a month and receive non-Diet Yogi bonuses in addition to the podcast. Patreons can access a growing library of goodies, including offers, PDF guidebooks, audios, meditations, herbal giveaways, and guest offerings. For this episode, Phoebe has generously offered a 25% off voucher Um, for her online or in-person consultations for all Non-Diet Yogi Patreon subscribers. And that is good until the 31st of January 2021. Okay, so here is my conversation with Phoebe. Hello, Phoebe, and welcome to the podcast. It is amazing to have you here. Thank you. It's lovely to
1: be here. I've been super excited all week.
0: Yay! Yay! (laughs) um, As I just said before, I pressed the record button, I've been waiting for this conversation probably since the podcast started. I've been wanting to find someone who is a naturopath, who is anti-diet, and who is into working with people with hypothalamic amenorrhea. So I know I'm getting ahead of myself already, but... um, You are that person I'm so, so excited and stoked. So, yeah, doubly thank you. Thank you very much for being here. I'm Yay. i so appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. So, Phoebe, um, I've already given a little bit away about you, that you're a naturopath and you're anti-diet. I'm wondering if you could um, introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe give us a bit of a story or background about how you came – be
1: a non-diet naturopath yeah Uh, so yes hello everybody my name is phoebe jobson and i'm a naturopath and i suppose if i go way back i graduated from high school and i went straight into university and i studied and completed my ba majoring in psychology Um, and then i had some time off i went traveling when we could all travel which was amazing um, and I always had an itch for the natural health industry, which was a true passion and lifestyle of mine. Um, so then I enrolled at my nature care college in Sydney and have never looked back, basically. And I suppose that anti, the non-diet part comes in because I have had my own food and body image challenges in the past, what it would have been for the majority of my life. And I was diagnosed with a restrictive eating disorder. So... I kind of get that, you know, I know what it's like to be in a place of mental and physical ill health. And I'm so passionate about supporting individuals and helping them take care of their precious health. And a big part of that for me, and it would have been because of my experiences, I know, um, is promoting and also following myself. I definitely much practice what I preach, um, is not being on any kind of diet and or any particular way of eating. You know, I eat all, all foods, I simply live by the motto which is kind of my life motto all in moderation you know when it comes to everything Um, especially food and exercise and that's kind of a lot of what I educate my patients on and from my experiences with my restrictive eating disorder that's just what what's made me so passionate about it and educating men as well but especially educating women about you know, kind of helping them have healthy relationships with food and educating them on food and how amazing it is and how we need it every single day and a wide variety of it. Um and helping them nourish themselves through not just food. Um nourishment includes every single thing we do every single day. Uh but yeah I think that was that was my journey and I, I, my BA in psychology, I'm really interested in psychology as well. Um so that that kind of helped but it was mainly my past experiences and I'm just very passionate about it and yeah I'm strongly a a non-diet practitioner.
0: Yeah, I love your passion for this stuff like (laughs) it's so tangible Um, anyone who doesn't follow Phoebe on Instagram please do because your posts are incredible phoebe and your passion is it just jumps off the screen kind of thing and (laughs) i i go through your stuff and i'm like yeah this chick really she knows what she's talking about and she really really wants to help people so um yeah thank you for for the incredible work you do and just touching on your your lived experience with a restrictive eating disorder is that um is that what brought you to working not just with individuals with food and body image issues, but also in particular with HA? And and if so, could you tell us a bit about your journey specifically with HA?
1: Mm. Yeah, I I definitely think so. Um, And when I was at one of my lowest points with my restrictive eating disorder, I I had HA, so hypothalamic amenorrhea. So I'd lost my period. It was probably for about two years. And on top of that, which I didn't realise at the time, but my period kicked in really late. I, I was nearly finished year 12, so almost 18 years old. Um, so it was also, I, I would have had primary HA as well. So um, it took a lot. All my friends had their periods and I was kind of, I had no idea why I didn't have my period. And I don't know, I think, I think the universe also has a way of sending me those beautiful patients as well who are struggling with HA. Because I started seeing them before I really started talking about it on, you know, my website and social media and everything. I had already started seeing a few HA patients and they just really lit a fire within me. And I'm, you know, I'm, because I have been through that, I, I get it. And um, with what I've studied, but also personal experiences, I kind of I really empathise with them. And I really think I can help them and I can, I can hear what they're not telling me you know, cause I, I don't need to say much and I, I get it. So yeah. yeah, I think that's why
0: you've been in those shoes before. Yes. So Phoebe, could you tell us for those listening who don't know what hypothalamic amenorrhea is, could you tell us what it is and maybe some signs and symptoms that accompany it and some of the issues that, that come along with that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so put In very simple terms, HA stands for hypothalamic amenorrhea. So it's absence of your period, they say roughly for six months. Um, And it's it's when there's no medical diagnosis. So there's no other reason for your loss of period. So, you know, if there's testing that needs to be done or they've seen their GP, um, sometimes even coming off the pill, girls can not have their periods kick in. It can be even up to nine months or so. Um, or even a period of stress or trauma. So if all that aside, if that's all been ruled out as to why a girl's period has stopped, um, then the very common underlying reason as to why a woman has stopped menstruating is from under eating, over exercise, and that duo having a consequent massive stress on their body and if women it's a super intelligent thing from the body it's super smart so as women if we're not providing our bodies with enough beautiful nutrients and food and a wide variety of, of them every single day our body and our mind which are the same thing they go they cannot thrive so our hypothalamus which is a part of our brain plays a massive role in our hormonal health super intelligently decides that our body needs to stop ovulating because it's it's a protective medicine mechanism our hypothalamus knows that our body's not thriving enough to be able to hold a child and raise a child so it's hyper ha is a super smart signal and it's kind of your body screaming out for love and help and support um so yeah that's kind of in a nutshell what ha is and symptoms i suppose and issues that come along with that like a big one would be infertility so, if we don't have our periods and we 're not ovulating as women resulting infertility for that period of time potentially can even if it really affects hormones and estrogen can kind of affect it long term um, and also another big one is bone health so because of the resulting loss of estrogen, that can really affect bone health as well so people women with severe h a better because of um Some type of eating disorder, they're often concerned about developing osteoporosis and um, loss of bone mass and things like that. Um, And then, if HA was, if it's due to that under eating and exercising, there can be a stack of associated symptoms at the time. Um, So when I was going through it, kind of every little system and cell isn't functioning properly because you're not eating enough. So I was often bloated. My I was, my digestive system was totally off. My bowel movements were all over the place. I was often headachy, fatigued, um, skin issues, uh, heightened anxiety. I was anemic, so really low in iron and probably had a number of um, other nutritional deficiencies as well. And yet the list goes on. So that can, that can, uh, there's all those kind of stuff that can be short term. They kind of come along with that picture of having HA and, not eating enough, over-exercising.
0: Yeah, I think that
1: answers your
0: question. Yeah, that was a beautiful answer. Thank you so much and a really easy to understand answer as well. Um, as, as you were listing some of those symptoms that you personally experienced when you had HA, I, I kind of got thinking like, wow, there's a lot of women who come to see me because I see a lot of women with HA, but also yeah. the initial reason many individuals come to see me and possibly you as well, I don't want to speak for you, but maybe, is because they've got this kind of cloud of nebulous cloud of all these seemingly not that mm. related issues. And mm. especially if they're seeking a naturopath or, you know, I call myself a holistic dietitian, um, holistic nutritionist, the people who I seem to attract are people who are already on the, well, I've got these issues because I've got candida, train, or I've got these mm. issues because I've got a food intolerance when mm. what you're saying is actually a very common reason is this restriction of food, coupled possibly with the over-exercise, but the restriction of food. Mm. I'm just wondering if you have that experience and, and if so, yeah, kind of how you, you present, you know, the possibility of under-eating being mm. the mm. main issue, actually.
1: Mm. It's, a, it's a very sensitive topic, as you know and i mean i would the initial is all about you know them telling me everything that's going on it's a big you know initial health consultation i'll ask them a thousand questions about every different aspect of their life and system functioning and everything so we can't we do cover a lot so we'll. i will always go through everything gut health skin health what they're eating in a day past history so it'll often somehow come out somehow or i'll just with their diet if it's a I can kind of just semi no. like I'm sure you can as well just if it's a very restrictive diet or they know exactly exactly how much they weigh or exactly what's in a day there's kind of some signs and symptoms um and then it's I often will even address it I need to address it as soon as possible so in the initial consultation and it's just around having a very open and making sure they feel safe in my space but just an open conversation about their relationship with food i'll kind of just if i suspect that whatever they've come to see me for it could be skin health uh could be gut health whatever it is could be sleep um just a sense of conversation around how they feel their relationship is with food and do they feel that um that ever creates an issue for them and it'll often come out and then we kind of go from there Um, and it depends on how severe they are I'm huge I'm a massive um, advocate of seeing a psychologist Mm. I I think that that would be number one so whether it's in, in that initial consult and the person's open to it some of them don't want to see anyone but myself so that's kind of developing that relationship first and having however many sessions and hopefully getting a few other practitioners in their corner to help support them. But yeah, it's just kind of creating a nice space for them to feel comfortable to have that conversation. Yeah,
0: that's really important, isn't it? Creating that yeah. space, creating that that safety and that trust Yeah, with your client. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I was thinking, um, sorry, I know I'm going off on a slight tangent here. but no, go go. Um, The other thing I was thinking was that especially with the gut issues that you spoke about when we're in a relative energy deficiency and we're not eating enough um that gut issues happen and mm. so often and it, it makes so much sense for people to think well maybe it's something i'm eating rather than it's all the stuff i'm not eating and not I'm eating, eating. Yeah. yeah yeah so it makes a lot of sense for people to to think i have a food intolerance or even they may actually have a food intolerance mm. whether it was pre-existing and is now worsened because their gut function is not as good or it has um been triggered by the the lowered gut functionality that's mm. all of the restrictive eating so it can all mm. get really mixed up so that conversation totally is so important yeah
1: and sometimes they're not ready to hear it or um say it which is okay as well. Yeah. Um it's just kind of planting that seed and um you know I I want them feeling better. So if they come in for gut health I want to help them I want them feeling better but um it would be it would be you know how I would probably treat HA girls you know getting them to eat more educating them around food digestive system yeah. so whether they can um, whether they're open to talking about it or they acknowledge that there is an eating disorder somewhere, um, I I would work with them in a way that would be adding more nourishment to their day and nutrients to their day anyway.
0: So you've kind of started going into my very next question with which is what is the solution if if what we have is hypothalamic amenorrhea that's the reason our periods have disappeared mm. what then? Mm. There are so many things that can help,
1: Um, and again, it's it's also I'm going to be focusing on if there is an eating disorder involved as well, because they they can have just HA without the eating disorder. Um, Period of stress, post-pill, could be thyroid related. Mm. So if there is an um, eating disorder or restrictive eating or whatever it might be involved, um, and that that does tend to be what I see, like when HA walked into my office, it it um, tends to be linked up with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's so much that can help. And I truly believe that being well is being mentally and physically well. You know, you can't just work on mental health or physical health, they come hand in hand. Um, So firstly, I said it before, but I think it is imperative when an eating disorder is involved that the patient seeks psychological support. That's uh, like utmost importance for me. Um, So I would always have this conversation if they're not already seeing a psychologist. If they're already seeing psych, then fantastic. That's so heartwarming. Um, But finding psychologists that they like and that they can really work with, that to me that is vital. So then for me as a practitioner, uh, that can kind of put me at ease slightly because I know, amazing. They're seeing this psychologist once a week or wherever they're up to once a fortnight whatever, twice a week, whatever it is. And so then I can, I can come in and do what I do. So that would be, I'm working on balance, especially with food and exercise, but a balance of all things, rest, enjoyment, work, sunshine, sleep, yeah. uh, holidays, food and exercise balance of all things, but particularly with food and exercise, that's where that balance is really important for that, our HA, you know, ED, eating disorder, disordered eating type girls. Mm-hmm. And I very much promote all in moderation. So when it, when it comes to eating all in moderation, you know, whether it's, I often talk about 80-20, you know, 80% of the time-ish we're nourishing ourselves through, you know, nutrient-dense whole foods. And then that 20-ish percent of the time, It's birthdays, it's Christmas, it's your Friday night dinner out, it's a Saturday, it's whatever it is. And that's really important too. So eating foods that aren't necessarily super nutrient dense, but they're delicious and they're part of a balanced diet. Um, And also I talk a lot about volume, variety and regularity when it comes to eating. That's actually something my psychologist and I worked on years ago and it's kind of stuck with me. So VVR, so making sure there's volume so eating enough every single day
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and a lot of what I do with my patients is making sure that's at least breakfast lunch and dinner and at least two snacks so roughly eating every three to four hours Mm -hmm. and then a lot of education on getting variety so we're not just eating the exact same things every day because then we'd just be limited to whatever we're getting nutrient-wise from those foods and regularity so that you know Breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks every single day. Mm. And a lot of education around our macronutrients with every meal. So particularly protein, our omega-3 fatty acids, so our essential fatty acids, we need them for basically every aspect of health. And our complex carbohydrates and our starchy veggies are super important, especially to get our periods back as well. Mm. Uh, And I don't I would never count calories. anything like that. And I I really steer away from that because that can be very triggering. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, depending on the patient, we'll use very rough measurements, but it's mainly to make sure they're eating enough. So to say, I want at least X amount of tablespoons or cups or whatever of this. Um, And rest days, uh, super important. So working with food, but also then looking at their exercise and encouraging rest days and reducing intensity of exercise as well.
0: Okay, folks, so just jumping in here to let you know that coming up right around the corner is talk about calories and numbers mentioned. So as I mentioned at the start, um, it starts around minute 30. It's actually a little bit before, which is why I'm jumping in here just to um, protect the well-being of those who do not need to hear about numbers and that kind of stuff right now. So if that is you, please feel free to fast forward to about the 34 minute mark. Otherwise, go ahead and listen. Thanks. Mm. Oh, there's so much there, isn't there? Oh my God. So much. And obviously, I don't do all of
1: that at once. That's, you know, it's baby steps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really, what really jumped out at me as you were speaking was how you emphasize the volume. I mean, yeah, there was the variety and the regularity, which is super crucial, super important, but the volume, so the adequacy. are we eating enough? Because you could be eating mm. regular meals and snacks, and I have clients who do this. I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. I, I even have snacks, mm. I, I even have dessert, I have heaps of variety. But it's like, how much are you eating though? Oh, yes, tiny little portions. I portion, yes, myself. I'm sticking to yes. you know making sure I don't go over you know, 1200, 1500, 1800, even mm. 2000 calories a day. Mm. Um, so yeah, just. Really, I think that volume that adequacy component is really important, and possibly yeah. this is just from my own experience with my clients is one of the trickier ones to get is mm. that adequacy that mm. volume in I'm just wondering with that so you already you already mentioned you know you give kind of at least have you know this much this many cups or you give me Mm. Um, I know you said you don't count calories, but do you ever, mm. like, even just in your own mind, have a minimum caloric intake for clients recovering from HA, or is it more just um all the other stuff that you've spoken about and
1: just yes without
0: counting yes, the girls that I tend to get get
1: are kind of in a phase where they're not it's not as if they need to go to hospital. So they're not in this severe state of major caloric deprivation. Mm. So I'm often at a stage where often they come to me because their periods still haven't kicked back in yet, but they are slowly starting to gain weight. So it is this fine line of, I definitely don't want to speak calories with them. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so measurements are kind of less, I feel less triggering Mm -hmm. um some patients I'm really happy with their how much they're having um so I don't I don't tend to but I kind of know in my head how much I want to see them hitting Mm -hmm. it depends on the person in terms of calories so they might need plus plus, way plus 2000 um or or not It, it totally depends and then it depends on what they're doing with their exercise if they're in a phase of complete rest if they're working it with their psychologist mm. so it, it it does depend
0: mm, yeah.
1: um, and another thing I try get them to do which it depends on the person but to if they have a really a person in their close circle friends or family someone they work with mm. that they acknowledge is has a really healthy relationship with food and they see them eating and not like inverted commas normal uh, plate of food to kind of start having some really uh, positive people in their circle that they can see how much is on their plate of food Mm. Um, to kind of yes steer away from that counting and just be like say their best friend has a really healthy relationship with food are they eating that yes they are okay did they add how big is their portion if they're going out with dinner with them that's kind of a nice way to also and obviously everyone's different so that's Um, it's not always it's not necessarily the most perfect comparison but that can help someone instead of comparing themselves to potentially someone else who is disordered finding healthy um, people with healthy relationships with food and comparing portion sizes
0: yeah that's really got me thinking because you're right it is such an individual thing I mean people who come to mm. see you are at you know, possibly all different places on that disordered eating spectrum, ranging from just kind of more restrained, not even that restricted, but it's like the slightly yes. restrained eating all the way yes. to like a preclinical um eating disorder, yes. possibly or beyond. Um mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, I think it's really important as a practitioner to just suss out whether calorie talk is safe Mm. or not whether Mm. that's going to be triggering or not and that is something i'll ask people like hey um do you or do you not want me to mention calories because for some Mm. some people coming in they are still at that calorie counting stage Mm. you know they they're aiming for under whatever it is um Mm. and and if i have their permission um and they're like yeah how many calories do you think i should be eating Mm. if it's not the 1500 and I generally use the 2500 calories mm. um which I which I got that from Nicola Rinaldi who who wrote no period and now what no period now what and that's mm. what she got from her research is like this all-in approach of um a minimum of two and a half thousand calories mm. a day but that will work with people who are just so convinced as like but I'm eating huge plates of food yes. and- it's like if they're counting calories and if they're open to a number, yeah. I'll be like, well, this is actually closer to what we're going yeah, for. Yeah, cool. Cool. Yeah. That's cool to hear. It, it is, but you're right. It's very individual. Some people will be like, yes. no, can't handle hearing about calories, in which case we yeah. will be like, okay, let's talk about minimum Spoons and and cups and serving yes. and plates and and yeah. talking and finding that person who's a really ha- got a really healthy relationship with food so mm. I'm so glad that you mentioned all those other ways because sometimes calories this is no go zone in terms of talking mm. about calories. Mm. Yeah, thank you. It is nice
1: to hear though that you do sometimes bring it up because I I think I often just steer clear of it, but it's nice knowing that depending on the patient, you obviously can pick up whether you can or not. But it's it's cool for me to hear that you do ask the odd patient and you do just have that chat with them um yeah
0: yeah yeah it's the odd patient yeah it's definitely yeah. not but for those who yeah of course it, yeah you know they really think it's not going to be triggering for one they, they count calories already mm. and they just switched on to how much that is and it can yes, be yes. those people um okay cool so that's i think you've answered all my questions about food oh the other last thing i wanted to answer uh, ask you was in terms of the regularity regularity the volume the variety is there any particular order you work on those with people or is it kind of all at the same time or whatever seems correct or most appropriate for that person more individual approach
1: yes yes um i think yeah it, it again depends someone if they really need to work on, they might need to work on variety. they could be at a point where they're they're eating regular meals, they've got their three main meals, at least two snacks, whatever it is. So it depends on what I feel the person needs to work on if they're still just really rigid in they only eat this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner. So it does depend. Uh, but if it's if they have h a so no periods, volume's a big one. So, adding more nutrient-dense foods to their plate. And often it's complex carbs and starchy veggies. So that's often the key thing that's missing from their plate of food. So, (laughs) yeah, it's a huge one. So I even have people who do not have disordered eating, but Mm. they're following whatever diet and they've wiped out all their beautiful complex carbs. So all their nice whole grainy foods and starchy veggies, particularly potatoes. It's one of the worst things we can do as females for our periods.
0: I know. <laughs> and I've no. got i I've got the word carbs on my notes here with a big circle scribbled around it. Carbs. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They're so vital. They're so vital. And we're living in such a carb phobic decade yeah. or couple of decades. Yeah. It's going on like over 20 years now where yeah. people have been scared of carbs. Um and I remember, yeah. you know, I went 10 years without eating sweet potato because a Friend who was studying metropathy at the the time told me Mm. that her lecturer told it, you know, potatoes are bad, shouldn't be eating white potatoes. And from no, I know I was like, okay, you can't eat (laughs) white potatoes for nearly 10 years over the span of of my own like eating disorder. And luckily, Mm. she didn't go on to develop an eating disorder, but I did. And it's Mm. just those Mm. beliefs that we pick up along the way and that we adopt from the culture and from other people they can really be harmful. And um, yeah, just, just love it when, we, when people talk about cards. They're so important and they're so not the villains.
1: <laughs> oh, 100%. I grew up, you said like we've been afraid of cars for a decade or two. And I also like grew up during the nineties, which was this massive um, non-fat era. Yeah. So oh, everything that. had to be no fat, low fat, yeah. like everything. Um, and I think that that was definitely damaging obviously someone who like myself and yourself is susceptible to disordered eating mm-hmm. growing up in this thing where it was all about the skim milk and the no fat every product mm-hmm. that was that was really damaging and it's similar with the carbs um, it's so crazy that the beautiful humble little sweet potato is put into this bizarre category and people are afraid to eat it and it's like a fight not only for our hormones as females but like massive for our digestion and our gut health and yeah yeah, really important
0: oh my gosh absolutely oh Mm. oh my gosh okay yeah (laughs) go carbs I'm all about the yes (laughs) because often embrace the potato yes please because (laughs) of our carb collective carb phobia I often find that might be the only thing that's holding someone back from yes their period like they're eating heaps of protein they're all about the fats you know keto is so sexy yes but yeah. um yeah it's the carbs, like oh no i might have um brown rice once a week and like a half a cup of it like, no, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah in a gentle way like okay so let's talk about that um yes okay so thank you for talking about all the food stuff i've got a thousand other questions but i'm also aware of time so i'm gonna <laughs> move on um <laughs> Phoebe, what are your thoughts on reducing exercise with women with HA? Do you have mm-hmm. any specific guidelines and, and when can people mm-hmm. start to exercise again? And yeah, can you talk to us about mm. that? Yeah.
1: Um, again, I, I hate that I keep saying this, but again, it depends on the individual. So it I coaches. don't have <laughs> I don't have any, you know, set this is what all women with HA have to do because they're all different, they're all on a different journey and they're all at different stages of recovery, whether they've even started their recovery phase or they're in denial or whatever it might be. Um, and again, hopefully they're working with a psychologist on this. So hopefully they're working with psych, psychiatrist, who psychotherapist, whoever they're seeing to help support them purely on their mental health. Hopefully they're working on the exercise. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say that one, one hundred percent exercise has to stop. Intense exercise, yes, definitely, potentially, depending on what's going on. But we all need to move, and our we were not designed to stay stagnant and still all day. So movement is beneficial for our mental health and beneficial for every system in our body. So it's it's finding that depending on exactly where that individual is at, but encouraging and enjoying gentle movement. And I I often term it movement instead of exercise. I feel Mm -hmm. exercise can be triggering, even just that word. So just movement of their body, you know, blood flow, like moving their muscles, getting out in the sunshine. So whether it's walking their dog, going for a walk, Mm -hmm. going for a splash in the ocean, um, coming into summer, that's a beautiful thing to do like a gentle stretch class or a gentle yoga class. You all, you know, all about yoga much more than I do. Um, so yeah, I feel about it. It's not making sure that they're sitting down all day and not moving their bodies, but it's about educating them on gentle movement, then listening to their body and um, kind of a combination of yes, definitely kind of if they need to reducing, if they do intense exercise, reducing the intensity of their exercise and then also incorporating rest days into their week. So kind of combination of reducing intensity if they need to and having rest days. And again, a rest day doesn't mean that they have to stay, sit all day, but it's, it's just making sure they're getting blood flow on their rest days, you know, going for a walk, but not building up a sweat, you know not getting breathless on that walk and making sure they go up every hill possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: just going for a gentle walk
0: yeah i really appreciate how you rephrase exercise as movement as of, of moving blood getting oxygenated mm. getting the chi moving if you want to Yeah that's just yes. that's that's a really nice reframe i think and mm. and at the same time probably reducing or minimizing that high intensity so if someone's coming and doing coming to me and doing like six hit classes a week or crossfit at almost mm. every day of the week and mm. you know maybe an ashtanga class or four on top of that that's when it's like okay mm. well yeah let's let's dial it down because that's going to be yes preventing you from um getting your period back yeah yeah and The other thing that you spoke about was the importance of rest, which I think is so understated and yet so crucial.
1: Yeah, it's a must.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so we've spoken about food, we've spoken about movement, we've spoken a bit about rest. I'm wondering, you know, these are these really practical, grabbable things that people can do, but then we've still got this, diet mentality right that Mm. so many people we're all we're all in it we're all affected at least a Mm. little bit by it even those of us have been working at this bloody thing for years it's so um Mm. i'm just wondering what what tips do you have for people to deal with that diet mentality that those tentacles diet cultures kind of has wrapped around most of us and and to transform their thinking in order to make those practical changes more doable and and less um anxiety provoking how um, mm. to, to, to do yeah
1: that? i love that question and it's a huge one and as practitioners we're faced with it on the reg- a regular basis as you said um, and again here a big thing to help tr- actually help transform their thinking and to help rewire their brain because we can totally do that it's seeing aside getting professional psychological support. So that's a big one with helping transform their thinking mm. and helping them get stronger. So when diet culture and stuff does pop up, that they're, they're trained, you know, they kind of can deal with that. Um, you know, there was a huge part of me when I first started seeing my psychologist that I, was, I didn't want anyone to know. I was not ashamed of it, but I was just not in a good place. But of alcohol, of course, screen, but from the rooftops now that I saw a psychologist for over two years and it absolutely changed my life. It was one of the best things I've ever done. Maybe the best. Mm. Marrying my husband was pretty high up there just in <laughs> case he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was pivotal in me transforming my thinking around food, body image, exercise, etc. And my studies helped. I feel really lucky that I've done my naturopathy studies as well. So I kind of have that as well. Um, and there's numerous psychologists out there, there's stacks of psychologists that specialize in eating disorders as well. Uh, so that's that, and then another big one is social media. Um, that is huge. So, kind of what pops up in our if I, I think most people, most people listening, that's how you and I connected, Casey, it was social okay. media. <laughs> uh, so, it's massive, yeah, and what popping up in your feed every day, especially can be Instagram because that's purely just images, that's what you're seeing, um, can kind of help or hinder you. That can can be very triggering. Um, So a big one is kind of doing a massive cleanse of what's popping up in your feed and if you can acknowledge that if anything that you're seeing is damaging if it's making you feel bad about yourself, if you're finding you're in this little rabbit hole of scrolling and comparing yourself to others, unfollow them. The mm. simple, it's a simple unfollow and then it stops showing up in your feet. Okay. Um, and then there are t- a ton, like you and I and so many other amazing people and practitioners out there who are body positive and body neutral and healthy at every size. And, and you know, once you start following a couple, you start following other ones as well so there's there's a whole world of body positive accounts on social media it's amazing but there's there's a stack of um accounts that aren't so body positive so that's a big one and I suppose surrounding yourself with your most beautiful and supportive people um that's big so if you know that there are certain people that are triggering for you you might love them to death but they can still be triggering for you um, and the social media accounts, being able to acknowledge that they might be triggering and to know that it's okay to keep them at arm's length. Yeah. Um, which I know is it's so hard, but really thinking if there is anyone in your life who is triggering for you, it might be with what they eat, it might be their relationship with food and exercise. Um, it might be the, lang- the simple language they use around food and their bodies. And that can really help you on your recovery journey or it can it can kind of be a big block as well um so yeah to know that it's okay to kind of put a put a little temporary or potentially permanent barrier up for a while to kind of help protect yourself while you're going
0: through recovery Absolutely, all of that, all of that oh, stuff yeah. is so important. I love that you mentioned the social media cleanse. It's the only time I That's love so using the word cleanse. <laughs> so
1: same, same. I never use that word. coming <laughs> out of my mouth, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, oh no, it's okay. It's the social media cleanse. Um, yes. Beautiful, beautiful suggestions. Thank you for that, Phoebe. Those are all gold. um Phoebe, I'm wondering if we could do a little bit of myth busting as yeah, we. Me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, common myth I hear first mm. one: you only lose your period once you get really thin.
1: False. <laughs> my <laughs> humble opinion. <laughs> um, obviously, good. Good. Um, obviously, that that can be a particular situation if there is um, a particular type of eating disorder involved. Major stress as well can cause someone to lose a heap of weight, lose their periods as well. Mm. Um, you know, low weight can be involved, but not all women who have HA, it doesn't, do, doesn't have to do with body weight at all. Yes. Um, they could still be over-exercising and under-nourishing their bodies, mm. maybe not necessarily lose whatever kilos on the scale, but they can still get HA because they're not, they're not functioning properly. And there can be a bunch of other stuff. I mentioned thyroid before. Um, yeah, there can be other reasons why a woman has lost her period for sure. Even just cutting out potatoes, as we were talking about before. <laughs> cutting out yeah. complex carbs and starchy veggies.
0: Yep. That yep. can do it. That did it for me. I lost my period for nearly... Yep. I was also training for crazy half line and triathlon and all the other disordered stuff on top of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes not. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, great answer. So people of any size can have hypothalamic amenorrhea. Thank you. Beautiful. Definitely. Thank you. Um, okay, next, next myth. Mm. Now that I have my period back, I can stop working at this. Mm. So this Short course. answer. Yeah. Yeah. Short answer is
1: you have to fully recover. But the, the end um when I initially started seeing my psychologist which probably sounds familiar for a lot of beautiful girls going through this but I wanted to I want the I wanted the best of both worlds I wanted to get rid of my eating disorder I didn't want that anymore, anymore. I wanted to remove my anxiety my low mood and I wanted to get my period back because I had been gone for a couple of years and I acknowledged that that wasn't a good thing but I didn't want to have to gain any weight I didn't want anything to change I just wanted to get my period back and get rid of the eating disorder Um, and I quickly realized that that was impossible and I in a sense I I wanted partial recovery I kind of wanted didn't want to fully do it and you know have a totally flexible relationship with food and body image and you know weight came into it as well Uh, so I but I knew that I wanted to get out of this space. So it didn't take me long to realize that partial recovery just doesn't quite do it. I wanted to get out of that dark place forever. I I didn't want to go back to that. So I, deep down, I knew that I couldn't just half do it. Mm. Um, so full recovery, like my period kicked in. I saw my psychologist for just over two years and my period kicked in quite quickly. That was just for me. Everyone's different, but, um, my period kicked in, like well, like quite quickly within the first year, and I saw my psych for over two years. So there was still just because I got my period back, there was so much work to be done um, to get me to that full recovery, which is really vital to also so you can live a so much more fulfilling life, but to also prevent relapsing and going back into that those ways. Um, so yeah I kind of my last session I my psychologist and I kind of both felt that I had reached full recovery you know I'd completed all my food and exercise challenges there wasn't my psychologist felt there wasn't really much we could work on together but one of the biggest things that really signaled for me that I was fully recovered was how insignificant weighing myself had become mm. um because as part of my psychology sessions, I was, I was always weighed. Uh, that's, that was part of the deal. And the last, however many sessions, I honestly like jumping on those scales every session, I honestly didn't feel anything. And that was massive. I, I didn't think I was able to ever get to that point. Um, you know, my psychologist would say, oh, you know, I've had patients that, you know, don't care about their weight. And I just thought as if, you know, that's, that's (laughs) never going to happen to me, but, um, yeah, it was, it was the most amazing thing that jumping on those scales didn't affect what I ate the next day, it didn't affect my mood. It was jumping on, yep, yeah, cool, let's, you know, get on with all the good stuff. It's life.
0: I mean, to someone yeah. who's never experienced disordered eating, so, like, hardly anyone, I guess, but for someone who has never had food or body image issues, that, that might sound a bit weird, mm. like, oh, God, what do you mean getting on? But, like, I'm listening to you going, wow, that's a massive thing. That's enormous. Yes, huge. That's huge. So what a testament to the work that you did. And, yeah, um, just, yeah, really good answer right. as well. That, that really gave, I think, the listeners an idea of what one version of recovered can look like, just really not being mm. attached to that scale anymore. It's
1: mm. such a big and And full, fully recovered is so much better on every single level than partially recovered.
0: Life is so much better. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we only live once. That's it. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Okay, so I think I've w- one or two more little myths for for you the bust. Um yeah, sure. the next one might be a little bit a little bit stickier, but I'll I'll give you a go anyway. So um, sure. but I've still got my period. It's just getting a little wacky. So I don't need mm. to worry about eating more or anything yet. So like irregular periods. Yes. So this is yeah. when this is what someone might say to me when it's getting irregular or the cycles getting longer um, and longer, or even sometimes mm. shorter. Um, mm. and, and to me, that's kind of starting to look like an an-ovulatory an, an cycle. Mm. um but is often that early sign that fertility is starting to suffer and it could progress to ha so mm. yeah this oligomenorrhea that irregular kind of place where periods start to get a bit wacky i know it's a bit of a mm. tricky question because often people will come to see you when they've just been flat out missing a period for a few months but i yes. see a lot of uh, women who they'll they have an eating disorder but they'll still have their period and as a result they'll be mm. like well I can't be that sick because I've still got my period even if it is kind of a long cycle or it's a bit wacky mm. what would you yes. say to those people
1: yeah I'd, I'd say so a regular period as well is a super intelligent sign from the body that there's something going on mm. so kind of an irregular Period in commas is classified between anything outside of twenty-one to thirty-five days. So less than twenty-one is a short cycle. Over thirty-five days is classified as a long cycle. So either side can be seen as irregular. Um, so it's super smart. It's your body trying to. Your body's not quite keeping up with ovulation and a regular menstrual cycle. Um, so whether it is the beginning of hypothalamic amenorrhea or you know potentially coupled with disordered eating over exercising that kind of stuff Mm. um or it could be something else not even on the ha disordered eating way of thinking you know there's a condition called pcos um which is very common to have irregular periods it's a big one uh could be linked to an underactive thyroid could be if someone's gone like all of a sudden really change their diet. So they've gone vegan or vegetarian or like very, very plant-based. No issues with that. But there's, you know, we get like a lot of our iron and zinc and B vitamins and vitamin A, et cetera, from meat sources, which is vital for hormonal health. So if that's happened and they notice a change in their periods, it could be they might need some supplementation. If they've just come off the pill, that's another one that can create irregular periods for a while low-carb diet, the potatoes again, the complex carbohydrates. Um, so it's, yeah, oligomenorrhea, I suppose, is a sign that there's something going on. May not be HA, may not be disordered eating, it might be. Um, but if I come across that in the consultation, it's, that needs more attention and questioning, questioning as to why their periods are outside that roughly 21 to 35 days.
0: Yeah, fantastic, great answer. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. It is not as alarming a flag, maybe, although sometimes it mm. kind of is, depending on the situation and the person. But yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, when I've got women saying to me like, "Yeah, I've still got my periods, so you know, it's all good," it's like, "Well, what's your period yes. doing? Let's look at that because that's yes. important as well. That window that you mentioned, you know, if it's shorter than twenty-one, longer than thirty-five days, we want to start." Asking why. Um, Yes. And if ovulation is even happening or not. Yeah. Yes.
1: Okay,
0: Okay. because you can have a period without ovulating. Yes. Yeah. Which is something like yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. So I think I think um I'm gonna start to pull these strings together and um let's just say my last kind of theoretical question for you, Phoebe. Let's just say that someone um, has recovered from HA, they have um, recovered mentally as well as physically, and maybe they want to have kids now, or they've already had a child or two, or whatever, and they're still living in diet culture. <laughs> how, mm. how can we prevent relapsing? once someone mm. has, um, you know, done all that hard work because it, it is just such mm. a time field that we live in at the moment. Um, how how yeah. can we keep those long-term benefits of being well-nourished and, and um, keep that intuitive eating or non-diet or whatever mm. that you use mm. alive and well, even once mm. you know, everything's happy? <laughs> yes. That's
1: a great question. And again, there's so many potential things. And I think it links into a lot of what I was saying before. So um, being solid with who you're surrounding yourself with, you know, having people that make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside and there's, there's no triggering people in your close circle, you know, social media is a big one. Um, And kind of just hopefully again, they've, Seen a psychologist psychiatrist they've had mental health support so they can hopefully be able to pull back on all the strategies and things they learned through dealing with that you know I I still have I wrote down I went through notebooks and notebooks and notebooks when I was seeing my psychologist and I compiled it all classic um personality of mine but I compiled it all into because I wrote down all the things that helped me like little strategies ways to think If this pops up, do this. And I've got a little book that I'll probably have forever that just summarises everything I went, like all the helpful strategies I went through with my psych. Um, And just being really solid on knowing what works for you in terms of food and exercise and balance of all other things, you know, work and play and sunshine and all that good stuff. But I think the big one of preventing relapse is having just knowing that no matter who's around you or what you're going through or what change is coming up, you know, I I know I recently moved house and I know big changes can kind of bring back that voice in my head and kind of being just always diligent on your food and exercise, always incorporating those rest days every single week, Um, always eating like whatever food has worked for that person. Just knowing that that's, no matter what new fad diet is coming out or no matter what they read on social media about X food or whatever, it's, it's kind of a big, a lot of it is mental, mental strength, especially if it's, if it's a vulnerable time, COVID has been a huge one. Um, You know, I read that there was a lot more calls with people struggling with eating disorders and um, you know, change is massive. So being extra diligent With your food and exercise challenges around those times, and Mm -hmm. it sounds corny, but just being true to true to you and knowing what you've been through, you know what works best. You know what what got you to recovery, full recovery, and just having the it's a lot of it is that mental strength, determination, motivation. Especially without having kids, which I don't yet, but hopefully one day, that's a big motivator to be a bloody awesome role model for your kids. Um, you know, if I have kids that grow up and they don't bat an eyelid when the word weight or fat or food or body comes up, I just want them to, I don't even want them to, I don't want it to be a thing. And I know that's, that's a big challenge in this society. But that's a huge motivator as a, as a mom or a dad that's been through an eating disorder to be an, um, yeah, awesome role model for, you, for your kiddies.
0: yeah I agree wholeheartedly on you with you on that one all right this is my second last question I'm gonna start I promise I will finish on time no (laughs) you're good I'm loving it um I'm I'm currently studying my the naturopathy degree at the moment and I don't know if you yeah I know it's exciting I just (laughs) uh, well some of it's great and some of it's just like uh but you know (laughs) yeah but um The herbal medicine stuff I really love. But I'm just wondering if you found that during your education, um, your naturopathy studies, was there much um, training or awareness around eating disorders? Because as you Mm. and I both know, that's such a prevalent issue Mm. in in our society. I mean, uh, I think it was a 2008 study showed that between 50 and 75% of women have some form of disordered eating it's huge mm, it's um, massive yeah and it, it's just my experience that so far in the business mm. i'm about three quarters of the way through it but so far there hasn't been a lot of education on disordered mm. eating which i think mm. is so problematic because mm. often clients i mean people who i'm seeing maybe previously they they have been to see naturopaths and natural health practitioners Mm. kind of knowing that they will be affirmed in some of the disordered beliefs they already had around the food and exercise. And it kind of is one of the big reasons I'm starting the job with me. I kind of want to mm. see what you're doing and be that person that the folks are coming to because they're into the natural health side of things. But also be switched on to like, okay, there's some red flags. Mm. In the disorder. Mm. So I'm just wondering yeah. what your thoughts are on that. If you found, was your experience similar or was it totally different? Um, mm. Yeah. What, what do you reckon? With
1: yeah, I, th- I mean, you, I'm sure you'll get to it, but like, we touched on it in my studies. Like it was very brief. It might've been an hour or two um, and that was it. And there are so many naturopaths and people in the, the health world that do practice like us, which is, which is amazing. Um, in how they educate their patients and everything, which is great. But I, I I do think, I suppose there are a lot of also health professionals, not just naturopaths, but, yes, naturopaths as well. Um, so dietitians,
0: doctors, everyone. Yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That aren't – It probably it's an awareness thing, but aren't, also aren't trained about it in certain language used around food and ways of eating and, you know – I don't even like saying the word diet, but diets and things like that, exercise, all that kind of stuff that can be promoted, can be highly, highly triggering for someone with an ED or disordered eating, even a history of disordered eating, and even something as simple as getting a patient to cut out a particular food group. Mm. Um, Which, depending on my patient going on, like it sometimes it it totally can help. But if I'm dealing with a disordered eater, um, cutting out a food group is the last thing I'm going to do. Because that in itself can be very uh, triggering. Um, And there can be practice, naturopaths or not, that can be more extreme and strict when they're talking about ways of eating. And again, that can be super triggering. Uh, I remember actually in college in my final year, we were doing like case studies and one of them was an HA case study. And obviously my ears pricked up and I was like, Oh, and the class, we we're all just discussing the case. And it's, you know, given female age, this, you're given a brief case study on it. HA, how do you treat this person? You know, what tests would you run? What food would you do? What herbs would you use? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Nothing was mentioned about disordered eating, just kind of HA. But it kind of went through the the lifestyle, and this is was the diet. And I was sitting in there like, hello, like this is so obvious. This beautiful case study needs to, we need to work on a diet. But the class was chatting about different herbs, and okay, we can run this test and this test, and kind of put up my hand, and I was like, it wasn't. It was a made up case study. It wasn't like a real person in the clinic. I was like, doesn't she have like disordered eating? Like, isn't isn't that what's causing her HA? Like she doesn't need any herbs. Yeah. It was kind of a bit of an aha moment that firstly, I realized like, Oh my goodness, I want to work with these people. Um, But yeah, it kind of, and everyone, it kind of opened up their eyes. Like, Oh, I hadn't thought of that being a possibility. Uh, So yeah, what definitely wasn't big in college. And I think I've, I've heard of some patients come in and they've, They've tried naturopathy in the past and been given a particular herbal mixture to try kickstart their periods, and that's that's not what they need. You know, they need to. We need to restore her eating and her nourishment and getting her back to where her body functions at its best. Um, So yeah, not um, not all practitioners would necessarily. We all work differently, but I'm not saying they're totally uneducated. But I'd love to see more awareness and. Just, I think, awareness of a disordered eater. Yeah. And if that's not what the prac is comfortable in working with, then being able to refer. Because there's definitely a particular way of um, talking to them and working with them so they can regain their periods, which is what they want, but being able to work, um, yeah, kind of in their line of thinking. And it's, it's really diet and exercise
0: mm-hmm. if
1: we really simplify it
0: yeah that's that's it when you distill it that that's that should be the focus and yeah yeah agree with everything you just said and you just reminded me of when i was i think eight months or maybe nine months into my ha and you know of course very interested in natural health and i went to see i went to the student clinic at the college that i'm currently at Mm. and you know it's like no period what's going on and it was exactly what you said it was like Mm. okay well here's some herds um mm. I think they gave me videx and some false yeah, okay, so yeah 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 and and you know what I did get my period back a few weeks later but mm. I was nowhere mm. near fully recovered nowhere near it yeah. took just as it was with you many more years of counseling and working mm. and being um you know okay with eating more and, and working on that diet mm. mentality that was so ingrained in my mm. in my brain um, before I was fully recovered and I think that that 's problematic that 's problematic, and as you said, mm. not all, not all naturopaths, not all packis, of course, but um, I think it 's something to watch out for because i mm. I, see, I see this still happening sometimes, not heaps but definitely still mm. happening, and something i 'd love to see change. Yeah, yeah same profession
1: yeah mm. yeah
0: okay. and as you said
1: just like using herbs sorry or vitex or something yeah. I kind of see that like as feeding like part like no pun intended but feeding the disorder like, like oh cool I've got my period now and mm. I haven't actually had to work on exactly the thing I've got running in the background yeah it's you know kind of try to kick-start your body into gear you've had a period Mm. but that's feeding the it's feeding your anxiety and it's feeding the eating disorder because the eating disorder has got away with not being um,
0: worked on yeah exactly it's it kind of gives that message of like you're eating fine keep restricting <laughs> or yeah. keep you know you're doing what you're doing yeah. um mm, and it's yeah. and it's not just naturopaths i mean heaps of people i've spoken to have gone to doctors who have been told um nah diet and exercise won't do anything here's some mm. climate or maybe it's time mm. for injectables you know and this is like ah. i know <laughs> crazy so anyway yeah um, eating disorder awareness right? yeah mm. <laughs> And Phoebe, um, mm. I, this this thing that you do on your social media um, Instagram account that I really love is sending love notes to body parts. So, for example, <laughs> <laughs> the dear bum, thank you, or thank you size for all the wonderful things you do and all the hard work that you do. I love mm. that you do that. <laughs> um, that mm. body appreciation, uh, body acceptance, even what what was behind that, or like what mm. that um, impetus to 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 post about being appreciative of some of these body parts that people find sometimes very difficult to mm.
1: yeah um i actually thought about that post i was having a shower one night and i looked in the mirror and for a split second i kind my brain went into this like oh then i was like no no phoebe like pull it back we love your bum thank yeah. you bum so i was like oh, i'm gonna post about that um but I suppose the message actually stemmed from one of the numerous strategies that I worked on with my psychologist. It's all about body appreciation and not necessarily having to love every single body part every single day because that's not realistic. We, I get that, but being able to appreciate and acknowledge how bloody amazing our bodies are and what they do for us every single day, and without you know this self all those self-scrutinized parts of our body we don't function properly um and i think everyone disordered or not i think we we all know what it like what it feels like to fall into that pattern of picking out body parts whatever it might be often we go back to the same one and speaking so horribly to them with no appreciation and just seeing just seeing aesthetics and actually or wanting to change parts of it in some way and always wanting something different or something better, right? Um, So instead of being so quick to criticise, instead, it's easy to catch yourself in the moment and then instead turn around and actually thank that body part for what it does for you. You know, dear bum was like, that our bums. (laughs) I can't imagine, number one, our digestive system would be (laughs) in a complete mess. You couldn't sit, you couldn't walk, you, you, you can't do anything. Um, so, to actually just pause and think, what does that body part allow you to do and achieve you 'd look totally bizarre without a bum, we need it, and without it you you can 't function at your best you you, you can 't any body part we we need um so each time you catch yourself speaking so negative about that body part, the poster about instead thank it for what it does for you, and then move on you know, go do something way better with your day than Thinking about a body parts.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying not to laugh it's so, it's, it's so <laughs> obvious like yeah we really do need those body parts why are we totally I being so mean and critical of ourselves when actually we could just be like thanks bum I love you and then or even not even totally. "I love you," just like thank you for doing all the stuff yes I see then, you yeah, you're great and then get moving on with all the yeah. cool shit that you gotta you want to do with your day
1: totally totally so yeah, it's kind of their post about um, body appreciation and acknowledgement. Yeah. And if you can give that body some love as body parts, some love, um even better. But um I get the body love doesn't always happen all the time.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm thank you phoebe um, this has been an amazing conversation i've like really held myself back from just exploding <laughs> into all the running down all these other rabbit holes same. i could keep going on and on <laughs> thank you so so much for for chatting with me today and i'm just wondering um can you let the listeners know you know if there's anything um that you're currently working on that you want people to know about and where they can find you
1: Yes, um, so my business, my name's Phoebe Jobson, if you've forgotten, <laughs> I work in Sydney, but often online as we all seem to be as well. So my business is called Nutmeg Neutropathy. So I've got an office in Mossman in Sydney, uh, but also online as well. And yeah, I suppose I've got a few exciting things in store for next year. Um, I've especially this year with COVID, I've started really. Um, I'm a speaker as well, so I've started really revving up my speaking gigs too. So I've done a bunch of webinars for different um, corporates this year, kind of like a lunch and learn session. And I did it, one kind of on this topic, which was so awesome with a bunch of women, um, women at Amazon actually. That was amazing to be able to actually speak about this topic, which was really cool. And kind of a big long-term I would goal and uh, I'll get there one day I'd love to speak in schools I'd love to especially uh girls schools guys as well but girls obviously have the HA as well so kind of speaking about the importance of their periods mm. uh, but I'd love to get up and talk to these girls who are at this very vulnerable stage and sometimes it's that period where they could either swing into fad dieting and disordered eating or hopefully not you know, kind of getting it where its they're old enough to sit and understand what you're saying, but um, young enough too to hopefully um, sometimes change their way of thinking. So, yeah, I'd love to um, speak in school. So that's my little goal for 2021.
0: Oh, that'll be so epic. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll be cheering you right on. It's so, so needed, isn't it? Yeah, oh.
1: totally. I would have loved that. Um, I was going through school
0: I know right me too mm. if only mm. how different things have been but at the same time we, we our journeys are our journeys and here we are and now exactly fired up to help other people so
1: I'm so fired up and I can see
0: that you are too it's just so <laughs> nice all right well Phoebe I will let you get on with your day thank you so much for chatting with me today and enlightening the listeners on all things HA
1: thanks for having me I've loved it
0: straddling the tricky edges of yoga land and diet culture with me i hope this podcast encourages you to compassionately and continuously question the ways that contemporary yoga is unfolding and interacting with other big forces in the world to develop a discerning mind and open heart and to skillfully dodge the diet bs that often comes along with studio culture Like you, I'm eager to keep learning and sharing and I put all relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, online nutrition counselling services and lots more at funkyforest.com.au. While you're there, make sure to download my free ebook, A Modern Yogi's BS-Free Guide to Wellbeing. It's a light-hearted, easy read with my top six tips on dodging diet culture crap in the yoga world, whilst creating sustainable and balanced health from the inside out. If you love the podcast, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash non-diet yogi. There are some pretty rad rewards there, such as exclusive content, discount codes, giveaways, and the ability to chat with me. As more episodes roll out, I'll be adding even more fun bonuses such as my non-diet yogic cookbook and mini courses. You can access most of the goodies at the lowest level, which is just $2 US a month or around $2.90 Australian dollars. Like most mamas, I'm ridiculously busy parenting, working, studying and all the rest. I've recorded a bunch of episodes and some of these have required five separate takes just to get a whole episode done as I need to wake up before my little ones to do it and they get up very early. So I'm crossing my fingers that the Patreon will give me the financial capacity to keep doing this. Another way to support is to head over to iTunes and subscribe and review the podcast. That would be so awesome. Thank you. The in and outro song is Evening Glow by John Anderson. Thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Thank you.